I'm Jeff Cohen. Would you turn down an amazing career opportunity simply because it conflicted with Shabbos? Our next guest, David Notowitz, faced that very decision as he progressed toward Orthodox Judaism. It's one of many key moments on his journey, and David is here to share all the details. David, welcome to Saturday to Shabbos. Thank you so much. Good to be here. So we often like to start with where your story begins. So give our listeners a sense of where you were born and raised. I was born in San Mateo, California. I was raised in San Carlos, California, all within about 30 minutes drive of San Francisco, just south. Okay, and in terms of religion within your family, how would you characterize what was going on within the home and maybe anything outside of it in terms of Hebrew school or whatever else you were doing? I would consider my raising as conservative California-style Judaism. I went to public school for all my life, even college, and went to Hebrew school, as they called it. I can't remember the exact days of the week, but a few days a week that I would attend Hebrew school. And then as you got closer to your bar mitzvah, they increased the days. So you had more and more days as you got closer to your bar mitzvah in the afternoons. So it was after school when you're already tired and my mom would have to drive me. It was great being around other Jewish kids, loved it. My high school did not have a lot of Jewish people and my junior high school did not and my elementary school. Really, I was not surrounded by many Jewish people. A few kids were Jewish and that's really it. In my high school of I don't know, a couple thousand people, it was huge. I would say maybe 10 Jews. Most of the Jews lived farther south or farther north. So I didn't have a lot of exposure, actually. It's actually very helpful the way you're giving this context, because myself growing up in New York, I think there was always this feeling of a ton of Jews in New York and a ton of Jews in California, but it's a big state. So that doesn't necessarily mean your personal experience was to be part of a Jewish community. Right. But in my home, my parents' home, where I grew up, they were very proud being Jewish, huge supporters of Israel, always talking about Judaism being a wonderful thing. On Friday night, we would have Shabbos, my mom would light candles. After we had dinner, do whatever you want. And then Saturday was just not a special day necessarily. Sometimes we'd drive to shul for some reason, a special event. Again, a conservative shul. And you use this phrase, California-style Judaism. So as a New Yorker, I have a feeling of what that might mean, but I'm picturing like surfboards and things like that. So maybe just bring that to life a little bit of what you mean when you say that phrase. What does it mean to be a conservative Jew in California? Well, I just remember talking to people later on in life about conservative Judaism in New York, and it seems much more religious for what I saw. So when I'm saying conservative California, it's more like I would think was reform in New York might be. That's what I was meaning by that. So you talked about going to Hebrew school. That leads up to a bar mitzvah, I would assume, and maybe take us inside those bar mitzvah, post bar mitzvah years as you're heading into high school. You know, the bar mitzvah was kind of like, it felt like the culmination of all your Jewish learning, almost like it was the end. And a lot of people would disappear after that. Jewish people would not come back to shul. We didn't call it shul. We called it temple. Even though the teachers would say, you know, this is not really the end. This is the beginning of your learning or whatever. You just never see anyone again. I joined, there was a little mini attempt at a Hebrew high school. I joined that, but it didn't last very long, a few months or something. And then they, they didn't continue it. It felt really like the end. Like, Okay, I'm bar mitzvah. I achieved what I need to achieve, and now we're done. And yes, we're still Jewish, of course, and we still have, but my learning 
and school is over and I was, it's a big relief. I mean, it's a lot of time you have to go every week and you're now in front of everyone. You're reading the Torah, reading the Haft Torah on your bar mitzvah and then it's over and it, thank God, you know, <laughs> that's, what <you're> <laughs> that's what you're thinking. <laughs> I did always wonder about that. This feeling of the bar mitzvah is the end of the journey because my kids now who are in yeshiva, they really are being taught to love Judaism for their entire life. And it just doesn't seem to be the model when you're conservative or reform that there is this big party when you're 12 or 13 and then what is meant to be next. And for a lot of people, it's just nothing, which is kind of sad when you think about it. Yeah, it's very sad. The shuls are shrinking across the entire country. Reform and conservative is weakening so much. I'm not on the inside to see that, but I see it on the outside. And so continuing your story, as you start thinking about college, I'm wondering where you go, what you're thinking about studying, and does Judaism in any way kind of come with you onto the college campus? Yes, I decided to go to UC Santa Cruz, which is close to my family's home. It would allow me to be far enough away, but also close enough to return. But uh, on campus, I found the Hillel. I, I kept trying to connect with Jewish life. And the wild thing was completely blew me away. I did not expect it was the amount of Jewish people at UC Santa Cruz at the time was so big. My roommate was Jewish. A lot of people on my floor were Jewish. I was kind of overwhelmed really with being surrounded by Jewish people for the first time in my life, not just in my family now, people my own age that were Jewish. It was really surprising to me and I liked it a lot. It's interesting that you were seeking out Hillel, the way you characterized post-bar mitzvah years in high school, it wouldn't have surprised me if you said you didn't even know if there was a Hillel on campus. What do you think was making you feel like you wanted to still have that connection, even though this is before your journey is going to start to a more orthodox form of Judaism? When you go to college, it's kind of overwhelming the amount of people. It's just a huge, big place. And I was Jewish, so I thought Hillel makes sense. I should see what's going on there. And, you know, on Friday nights, I'd always have my Shabbos with my parents. So that was very important to me. I wanted to see what would be happening at Hillel on a Friday night and for Shabbos. They had a Hillel house. It was off campus. So you had to get there somehow. So I took my moped down there and enjoyed the company of other Jewish people. Were any of the people there Orthodox? Were you starting to see what that lifestyle was like, or you didn't yet meet anyone or have any perspective yet on what it would mean to become an Orthodox Jew? None of them were observant, no. So I didn't know what that meant to be observant. And I always thought of myself as conservative Jew. Like, that's my label. Mm -hmm. That's who I am. And so what were you studying, and what did you hope to do career-wise? I was studying film and video production, it was very interesting to me. I'd taken lots of pictures in my youth and written a lot, and it seemed to really combine a lot of my interests together. And I even thought maybe I could make a living doing this. As what? A director, producer, writer? What did you think you would be? I was always guided by my teachers at school to pick a technical skill as well so that you could always use that if you weren't able to become a writer, producer, director which everyone wants to be, of course. Uh, well, not everyone, but I did too. I had lots of ideas and I achieved some of them. So what ends up happening? You, you get your degree in something related to film. Like what's your actual degree? And then what do you do coming out of college with all these interests you have of breaking into the industry? The actual degree term that I have is theater arts with a film and video emphasis. 
at the time, Santa Cruz didn't have even a major in film. It was just an emphasis, as they called it, which was fine with me. I didn't really care. I got the skills there. I spent a huge amount of time in a dark room editing. The skill that I decided that I loved very much was editing. I loved spending crazy amounts of time just taking something and editing into a good story. Before I got to graduate, I did some research and I, I did a lot of calls down to Los Angeles trying to find what's possible. Can I get work helping a location manager or really anything? And um, then I saw a listing where someone needed an associate producer for Financial News Network to help with a, a rare coin show, a daily segment on the Financial News Network. And the reason that's so fascinating is because my dad owns a rare coin store back then. And I knew a lot about this subject, more than most people probably in the country. And when I called them, they were kind of blown away. And I could also be a cameraman, record interviews with people, edit it together, create a transcript, and create a daily segment, which is what I did. I helped the um, anchor, the producer, create a daily segment on rare coins every day. So as I'm thinking about this stage of your life, and you get this break and you you have an opportunity to be part of the industry, where do you think your career is going to head based on this experience? And what do you think religion is going to be in your life based on where you're at at that stage? So I went down to LA. I was 21. I did not have any idea about religious direction at that point. I did hear from friends and school that there was a lot of Jewish people in LA, a lot of more involved Jewish people. You didn't see that in San Francisco Bay Area. It's, there's a lot of Jewish people there, but for some reason, just never really clicked to create a really strong religious Jewish community there in, in Northern California. But in LA, it's gigantic. And all my friends I saw in college were, yeah, yeah, you'll love it. You'll love it. There's a lot of Jewish shuls and communities, and we can go to Shabbos together. And it resonated with me as something good that I wanted to explore, but really my focus was my career. And that was my main focus. I wanted to learn more, grow more. I had friends I developed that were also filmmakers, so I wanted to help them with their films. They'd help me. So this job was just a way to pay rent, you know, and get me through the day and pay for things. But other times of the day, at night, weekends, I'd be working on other projects. And what's that feeling like coming down to Los Angeles where you hear so much about fame, celebrity, materialism, and you want to be successful, but there's always the risk of being swept away by all that stuff. And will you still be able to maintain who you are? And you're also still showing this interest in Judaism and a lot of the lessons there run counter to materialism. So how are you balancing all this as you start to see the opportunity to be in Los Angeles and the things you've been dreaming about happening in your life might actually happen? I was very excited about being part of the movie industry as much as possible. I definitely saw a bad side of it at different times in my early career went to parties, certain things I saw I just wasn't interested in and was frankly kind of grossed out by. People were used. Someone new shows up. Yeah, you can help us, but we're not going to pay you anything. And I did that a few times. There was one time I was, you know, someone brought me out to another state. They flew me out. They gave me food for a week or two. And I was to edit a Western-themed horror film with this gushing blood and people getting killed in strange horror ways and stuff. Very low cost. And I was really excited because I'd be the editor of the film. You know, I'm the, the lead editor. Like, wow, great opportunity. I gained 10 pounds 
I never saw a final edit for that thing because I don't know what happened to the film. I edited it, but I don't know what happened. But I could say I edited a film. <laughs> it was just a really gross film. So there was materialism for sure. And I loved being around the equipment and being around productions and helping as much as possible, which I did. I volunteered times sometimes in order to trade access to equipment so that I could learn more about certain editing systems or camera systems. And I enjoyed the process a lot. And once in a while, my friend would say, hey, David, you know what? There's this place we can go. We can go on a Friday night. They'll give us, they'll invite us to a meal. They'll invite us to their home. And I was like, wow, that sounds great. So my friend and I show up to this shul on the beach in Santa Monica and Michael Medved's there. He's like standing at the doorway. And I didn't know who that was actually. But he said, are you guys available for Shabbos meal? And later I learned he always said available, which was a really nice thing. Now, are you guys looking for Shabbos meal? Are you guys available to be invited to someone's home? I found that very sweet. And he was the one who arranged, set us up with other families. And I saw those families. It was my first time really being in touch with an Orthodox home. And I really was blown away by seeing the number of kids, the beautiful kind of chaos where kids were just running around all over the place. Whereas, you know, a lot of homes I'd been in, you have to sit at the table during the meal. These kids are just running around crazy, having a great time. And the parents, the older kids are sitting there eating and enjoying. And that was fine. They didn't have to sit at the table. The love in the family and togetherness, very inspiring. And I, I wanted to have a family like that. So when you were getting those invites to the meal, like through your friend, did you understand that you were going to an Orthodox setting or you just realized, okay, this is Jewish. I'm familiar with a Friday night meal, so I'll go. How much did you understand about what you were getting into and that what you were seeing was connected to Orthodox Judaism? My memory is that I didn't really know what I was getting involved in. I knew they were Jewish. I knew they were more religious. He said they were Orthodox, but I didn't know what that meant really. But it was my first exposure to the home of a Jewish religious person when I would go to those homes. I still didn't want to be religious exactly. Like, I didn't want to be orthodox. I was just, I wanted some aspect of that in my life. It makes sense because if you're at this meal and you're seeing a really nice family, you would think, I could see getting married someday and having this kind of experience. You wouldn't necessarily realize all the other things that go with switching from conservative to orthodox. And you're probably at that point in the journey, don't even know the questions that you would ask to understand what else goes with the lifestyle. You're just witnessing a nice scene. Exactly right. Correct. And I enjoyed seeing it. I enjoyed experiencing it, but I didn't want to change my life. I was in film and video production and all this stuff happens on Saturday a lot too. Like productions will go seven days a week. You can't just like work all the days, but one or something. And sometimes the productions will go Monday through Friday, but a lot of this stuff happens on the weekend and Friday nights it goes late. And I can't say, oh, I have to go now. It's hard enough to get the jobs in the first place. Then you have to tell them, oh, I can't work on Friday night and Saturday. They would just kill it, you know? So you're at an interesting inflection point in your story because it seems like your career is getting ready to really take off, but you're also getting this early exposure to a whole other side of Judaism. So how do these two worlds now start to advance forward? Like, which one's coming sooner? What What's developing in your life as these two things are now part of your life? One of the things I went to was a Jewish camp. You know, after college, there's, there was this camp in Simi Valley, Brandeis Bardeen Institute, BCI. I went to this camp and 
again, exposed to a lot of Jewish people. They kept Shabbos. And they also had Israeli folk dancing. It wasn't an orthodox experience. It was just, I guess, conservative experience. And I loved Israeli folk dancing. I was just amazing. I mean, you got to hold hands with girls. Like, wow. <laughs> What's better than that, right? And you dance in a circle. But really, it felt spiritual. It felt communal. It felt I was connected to the Jewish people more with this dancing. I mean, I liked the camp too. It was amazing. It was great. It inspired me a lot. So after camp, I started going to the Israeli folk dancing a lot outside of camp. I didn't know it even existed outside of camp. You know, you think like in the shul, there's like Havanagila and I don't even know what else. Mayim, Mayim, Mayim. And I felt like maybe there's something more here in Judaism I didn't know about. That's what I was going to ask you. You have this Shabbos table experience and starting to see what that lifestyle could be. You have this dancing experience that's also taking you a little bit deeper into Judaism, are you starting to think, wow, I could kind of wrap this all up together into a future way I want to live my life? Yes, in a way, yes. I would say you have the Shabbos dinner experience, and then you have the dancing and you have the camp. And my parents, you know, raising me to appreciate Judaism and to be proud as a Jew. But after a while in the dancing, I thought there must be more than this there's got to be more of a depth here. What is it? And a lady I was dating who became my wife, we both wanted more. We both were searching for it. We knew there was something deeper that we could learn about Judaism. So we went to a, a local religious shul and walked in and for Shabbos. We felt it was too restrictive. Our first reaction, we started to learn a little bit more. And then we, we felt, gosh, we have to sit separately and you know, there's so many restrictions on Shabbos and food, and it, it just felt overwhelming. And we thought we'd never go back to an Orthodox shul again. But thank God we tried other places and we tried other classes, and we definitely got connected more with people, very warm, wonderful people. And we started seeing the truth about this is Judaism. It's not restrictive. It's just Judaism is amazing, and when you know the truth, then you want to be part of it. So we found this more and more as we learned more and more in classes that it felt like this is authentic Judaism, that hadn't been watered down through the United States, hadn't been watered down through people forgetting what Judaism really was, which I honestly could see in many families that I knew. Their great-great-grandparents might have been religious, their great-grandparents were less religious. Maybe they had to keep their business open on Shabbos. It got more and more watered down, I guess is the best way to put it, with American culture kind of blended in and assimilated. And we felt as we learned more and took more and more classes, this is Torah, and we loved the knowledge that everyone had. It wasn't just surface-level knowledge. It was very deep, beautiful knowledge. Now, I can hear that clearly you have found a partner who wants to grow with you. You're seeking truth together and you feel like you're finding it. At the same time, I teased in the introduction that something must happen with your career that is taking off to the point that you're going to have lots of opportunities that are going to now conflict with this lifestyle you're attempting to pursue. So how do these two worlds collide in some way and, and leave you in a situation where you have to figure out what you're going to do going forward? Yeah, so I was involved with, for example, a documentary film, The Last Klezmer, which I edited and that was an amazing project, went around the world, saw by maybe 25 million people around the world, maybe 50 million people, I don't know. It was hugely successful. And then the same director asked me to help him produce an, a second project. And 
we traveled to Europe, Eastern Europe, because I wanted to explore my roots. It was my dream. This is before I met my wife. I wanted to explore my Jewish roots. And this was another way to do that, which was to find Jewish communities around the world and make documentaries about them and learn about them and learn their history. And I was very excited to do that. It was something I thought about in college when I was doing film production. I thought, oh, this would be a great way to explore my Jewishness. And he invited me and I helped him produce this documentary. We traveled to Eastern Europe. We found communities in Eastern Europe in Ukraine, went to Munkac and beautiful places where there were still Jews. It was a really active center for Jewish life before World War II. We shot during Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur. We came back the next year, shot during Pesach, found out this community, a certain particular town didn't have a Torah. So I spent a huge amount of time trying to locate a Torah to be donated to this community. End up finding one in LA after faxing all over the world, basically looking for a Torah, finding a Torah in a community in LA had like 15 Torahs. But the amazing thing was one of the members contacted me. His family is from this region that I was visiting. So he came from that region. He really connected to it and he wanted to give the Torah. So that shul gave one of their Torahs to us for that production. We brought it back. It was very beautiful to me to see a really old man in this small town who still knew how to read from the Torah, take out our Torah that we brought, put it down on the bima, and read from it. And we, I recorded that. I, it was very moving to me. They didn't have a Torah for a long time. I was very proud to make this film, and we came out with a beautiful film. That director wouldn't feel comfortable hiring me anymore after that because I became more religious over time. So between making that second film with him, and later, when he talked to me about making a, a film later, I couldn't work for him because he would want me to shoot on Shabbos. So I could see how that happened with that particular person. Then were there other instances? I would think you're starting to build experience. You're starting to have some credentials in terms of someone people would want to hire. Not everyone is going to know that you're also growing religiously. So are there other situations that come up where you have to make this decision? Yes. It was a really exciting opportunity in a more commercial filmmaking sense, not documentaries, which is beautiful, but it paid my bills. But I wanted to really make a living doing this. So a guy calls me wanting me to shoot, to be a cameraman for a big production. And I'm asking, okay, so when is it? It's going to be on Saturday. Oh, it was with Jimmy Schmitz, at the time a big actor, very famous. And I'm like, can we move it? Would it be possible to move it to a different day? He said, no, no, we moved it off of Rosh Hashanah already. So we can't change the date anymore. Oh. So I was really torn, really torn, because it was at this point in my life where, yeah, Shabbos was nice. I liked it. But so was filmmaking. It was really important to me as my way of making a living, supporting my family and achieving my other dreams, which are to be a filmmaker. I turned it down. I, I said, I can't do it. I hoped he was going to change his mind and like change the date or something. And he just hung up on me. That was it. Looking back, it was a super important point in my life where I just said, you know what? I can't break Shabbos anymore, even for this. I think the hardest thing for me was not checking my emails on Shabbos, believe it or not. Like that was the hardest thing for me. It sounds really dumb, I think. But I think people who are addicted to their phones today can kind of relate to the same thing that I put everything away. And Shabbos has never been the same. I'm thinking about that situation you just described with Jimmy Smith. And you're on the precipice of what might be 
kind of a career defining moment. You you could take that gig, putting religion aside for a moment, it might open a lot of other doors. So I can imagine just how difficult it was in that moment. What would you say to our listeners who maybe are in other fields where Friday night and Saturday is part of the industry and they're grappling with the same thing? I want to grow religiously, but I'm also trying to grow my career. You have feelings about it from when you went through it, but now time has passed and you can look back on your journey. So what advice or perspective would you have about what you went through? The older I get, the more you realize the career is not that important. Making money is not that important. Who are you really deep down? Who do you want to be spiritually, as a Jew, as a human being? Who do you want to be? I think deep down, we all know we're Jewish, and that's our soul. That's connecting with our soul. Business, making money, can be very fun opportunities to travel and go to restaurants and visit family more often, but it's not the main thing of who we are. All that stuff disappears. Judaism will stay. Your soul is there. And that's who you are. I love your perspective, but I also want to go back into when you made that decision. I would think you're realizing you're going to get other phone calls that you're going to have to say no to. So do you make a decision with your wife in terms of maybe pivoting your career into something that will merge a little bit better with the path you're taking in Judaism? In my late 20s, I got married. And before we got married, we grew a lot together started going to shuls all the time and being Shomer Shabbos and really enjoying the process a lot, being together and growing together. It's not the standard orthodox way of dating. It's not the standard orthodox way of getting married, but we married in a, a firm way. And how it affected my work was that I did have to really try to find ways to make a living doing video and audio production that would be able to be turned off on Friday night and Saturday so that I could enjoy my Shabbos and be there for Shabbos. That was definitely limiting, 100%. You asked about balancing, talking to my wife about it. It wasn't anything to talk about, really. I mean, you know, it was That's what we're going to do. And we both agreed on it. And I had to find a way to make a living. And it was hard. It was hard. So where did you ultimately land? I just continued to try to find productions that I could be involved in. Productions for cities doing their promotional videos, productions for companies that want to make ads for their companies, educational videos for companies who are trying to train employees, things that are a little less big film shoots because I couldn't volunteer for those things. I couldn't get paid or volunteer for those things because they're over Shabbos quite often and over holidays. And you just have to be there at any moment's notice. You got to be ready and they're not going to, unless you're a big star, you can't control that schedule. I now know screenwriters and those people who are religious who can dictate their schedule because they're well-known. But when you're not well-known, you, they'll just hire someone else. And it was actually beautiful because I enjoyed still going to those shuls and having beautiful experiences, seeing those families. And now I understood there was way more than just the dinner. You know, I thought I didn't really know at the beginning. It was just beautiful dinner. Everyone's together. Wonderful. But so much more involved with learning Torah, Halacha, Kashrut. You couldn't eat everywhere you wanted to go. We stopped Israeli folk dancing as much. We, we cut it back more and more because we were becoming religious. We stopped doing Israeli folk dancing, which both of us loved. Well, you could do it together. Just by ourselves. Right. Right. It's a very different experience. And it's <laughs> something I think about and I miss. 
And just thinking about the way that your career made some changes, is there a particular project that you want to share that you're most proud of? I ended up doing uh, wedding videos for a while, which was a lot of fun, actually, because I was doing from weddings and bar and bat mitzvahs. You know, you couldn't shoot uh, like the bar and bat mitzvahs on Shabbos. So it had to be religious people. So it pushed me more even. And then after my wife and I got married, we decided we wanted to go to Israel to learn a little more. We were encouraged by a lot of our friends, and we decided to spend three months in Israel. That's all. I hadn't been to yeshiva, I hadn't done any of that stuff, but we rented an apartment as a newly married couple, and I went to Eshet Torah, and she went to Madrasha Rachel, and we learned. We learned full-time. We came back together at nights. It's a great time for us to really grow. And I met a guy there who was an attorney. And soon after we got back to L.A., he asked me to help him with a case that he had. He said, can you help me on this video case? I didn't know anything about court, but I knew about video, of course, and helped him on this case that involved VHS video. And I testified in court and the judge asked me during trial, so David, how did we know you didn't manipulate the video evidence to help your client? And I said, because I don't lie. That's, I didn't know what else to say. Like, <laughs> And uh, in the um, hallway afterwards, my friend, the attorney, gave me a high five. said, that was perfect. That was the perfect answer. And that was in 2001. And then 2006, I think it was, he called me again to help him with the case. In the meantime, I was doing wedding videos and corporate videos and all this stuff. And that case was super high profile. That led to a lot of other attorneys knowing about our work. And I said, you know what? I think I can take my business in this direction. It will be very profitable and very interesting, lots of fascinating cases. And I don't have to work on Shabbos. It's a whole win-win, I thought, and it was. And I grew my business from that point on in audio and video forensics. It's so funny you're saying that because you had the story earlier that you had this big opportunity with Jimmy Smith, who's famous from LA Law. And now things come full circle because you're going to be involved in legal cases anyway, just in a totally different capacity from what you expected. I never thought of that before, actually. (laughs) So the one thing we didn't talk about is starting your own family. Everything that you and your wife are learning and growing, I would think you want to now transmit it to the next generation. So do you start a family and what what happens? Yes. So we we were living in Los Angeles, Pico Robertson area. We had two beautiful children and learned more and more. I started learning Mishnah early on when I first got married with a rabbi at Eshet Torah, started learning Gomorrah. Halacha and all the aspects of Jewish life. There's so much to learn. It's endless, really. My daughter's currently living in uh, Jerusalem with her husband. They recently had a baby. So he's my grandson, who's a year and a half. And as my son in law proudly said, may he be the first among his siblings. May he be the leader among his siblings. And My son lives in Los Angeles. He's going to college right now, and please God, continues to grow. I'm proud of both of them, and I have a machatanim. Like, what in the world (laughs) is that word? You know, I never knew what that word was. I'm a schwer, father-in-law, and I'm learning what that means, and it's beautiful. And I'm doing, uh, as of 2020, I'm learning dafyomi, which is intense. I'm spending many hours every day learning Gomorrah, as well as my business, so... All's going well. 
And clearly you have used this word growth a number of times in the interview. You've talked about how you and your wife are inspired to keep growing. So I'd love to just close the interview by asking what else is on that bucket list as you continue to grow in your Judaism, in your career, and with your family. I thought that Judaism had a spot where you'd say, oh, I've learned it all, you know, when I was young. And that's like the bar mitzvah, like you're, you completed it, you're done, you know. <laughs> but it turns out it's not even close to the case. I love learning and it's really important to me to keep learning. The amazing and crazy thing is when I see very religious people, even rabbis, they're constantly learning more and be amazed at what they learn. So I know that there's an really an unlimited level of learning that you can do in Judaism, unlimited levels. Could be overwhelming to people, but to me, it's inspiring. As I'm listening to your story now and I'm reflecting on it, something I really love about it is that you had these pivotal moments in your life where you had to figure out what did you stand for and what's important to you. And it's hard to know in the moment if you're making the right decision, but you clearly have found the right perspective all these years later of understanding why these choices and decisions were just steps in getting you to where you are today. So I just want to say, David, thank you so much for joining me today on Saturday to Shabbos. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to tell my story. Saturday to Shabbos is produced by Gary Wallach. Our theme music is by Paul Uden. To learn more about us, please visit taklismedia.com. That's T-A-C-H-L-I-S-Media.com. Tell us what you think about what you've heard or suggest a story we should know about by emailing Shabbos at tachlismedia.com. I'm Jeff Cohen. Thanks for listening. Please check with us often for more stories of inspiring Jewish journeys. Saturday to Shabbos is a Tachlis Media podcast.